0: have two brothers. One of my brothers lives in America. He's been there for about 10 years now. Uh, and he's come sort of back and forth between America. He's also lived in Kenya as well. So he hasn't built up the residency requirements that you need in order to become an American citizen. But if my brother was to decide to become a citizen, if he passed all of the tests and went through all of the rigorous background checks in order to become a citizen... He would find that his life would change quite dramatically. He would find that his his identity would change. A key aspect of his identity would be his nationality would be totally different. Instead of being Johnny the Northern Irish guy or the British guy, he would be American. He'd be taking the oath of allegiance to the flag and to the president. I don't know how he would feel about that. But that's what he'd be doing. He'd be first and foremost an American. Not only his identity, but also his rights would change at the minute if you or I, most of us, if we went to America, we have to go through a fairly tricky process. You need to get a visa. You need to face a very unfriendly immigration officer at the airport who asks you all sorts of awkward and difficult questions. But if he became an American citizen, he could just walk in into the country and leave any time he wants. He could vote. He could also uh, hold a position of public office. He'd have all sorts of rights that he wouldn't have uh, as a a British citizen. And it would also change his relationships as well. Instead of being that guy at the office barbecue who's the, the token Irish guy or the token British guy, no, he would be an American, a fellow American with all of his other friends, singing the same national anthem, standing under the same flag as his fellow Americans. Well, as big a change as becoming an American is, if you're a Christian here this morning, you'll know that actually becoming a Christian is a much bigger and deeper and profound change. Because it changes who we are, our identity. We're no longer dead in sin or slaves to sin, but we are alive in Christ. It also changes our our benefits, if you like, as well. We have access to the living God of the universe. We can pray to him anytime we want. We have eternal life and a hope and a future. And it also changes our relationships. Because whenever you become a Christian, you're brought into this family of God. A bit like my brother who would, if he became an American, he would be a fellow American to millions of other Americans. Well, when we become Christians, we are fellow Christians to millions of people all across the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ. What we find in this very short letter uh, from Paul to Philemon this morning is that the gospel transforms everything. It changes our identity, and it changes our relationships. It's a very practical letter because this is really where the rubber hits the roads. We've just finished a little series in the book of Ephesians, which is also written by Paul. And if you were here with us for that, you'll know that the book of Ephesians is essentially in in two halves. It's a game of two halves. In the first half, you've got Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's saying, here is what Jesus has done for you. Here's what God has done for you. Some core truths about the gospel. And then in the second half, he says, well, this, therefore, is how you should live. In light of that first half, this then is how you are to act and behave and think. But what we find in Philemon isn't really a long discussion of doctrine, but it's really a very practical, specific situation between two people, Philemon and Onesimus. And Paul finds himself in the middle of these two, where there's a tricky pastoral situation. It's also a powerful letter, because it's a reminder to all of us that the gospel transforms our lives, not just what we think And how we feel, but also what we do. The gospel isn't about something that we just do for an hour or two on a Sunday, but actually it impacts our relationships as well. So what is this letter all about? What's Philemon about? Well, the story is that Paul is writing this letter to this Christian leader, Philemon. He's a wealthy Christian based in the city of Colossae. And he's also a church leader, so the church, we, we find out in the first few verses, meets in Philemon's home. And Philemon, being wealthy, he has at least one slave, possibly more, but we know of one slave that he has, whose name is Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is a very bad slave. We, we find out later in the book that he formerly was useless, wasn't helpful, wasn't servant hearted. And in fact, he was such a bad slave that one day he decided he had enough of the slave life, and so he runs away from Philemon. And not only that, but he, he decides to take some stuff from Philemon. We're not told exactly what it was. Perhaps money, perhaps something else. But he makes his getaway. And somewhere along that journey, Philemon then, uh, sorry, Anisimus meets Paul. Their paths cross And wonderfully, Paul introduces Onesimus to the Lord Jesus, and Onesimus becomes a Christian. This then leaves Onesimus and Paul in a bit of a tricky situation, because then Paul advises Onesimus that he needs to go back to his master, back to Philemon, and try to make amends. And so the purpose of this letter is Paul is writing to this Christian leader, Philemon, and he's pleading with him to accept and to forgive Onesimus. And next week, uh, we'll look a little bit more at the heart of uh, forgiveness. How can we do it? And why should we do it? But today, we see three things. We see a picture of what true faith looks like in the life of uh, Philemon. Secondly, we see that the gospel transforms all of our lives. And then finally, we see that the gospel transforms our relationships. Firstly, then, true faith in Jesus. What does true faith look like? We actually find a pretty good picture in the example of Philemon. And we see that true faith in Jesus is always accompanied by love. Paul says this in verse 5. He thanks God for Philemon for two things. Number one, his faith in Jesus Christ. And secondly, he says, I hear about your love for all his holy people. He says again in verse 7, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul is commanding Philemon, and he's saying, Well done, Philemon, because you've got two things. Number one, your faith in Jesus and also your love for his people. There seems to be a bit of a trend in recent years where some people might say, Well, look, I have faith in Jesus, I love Jesus, But I'm not all that keen on the church. It's not really for me. And what Paul is saying here to Philemon is, no, what you are to be commended on is that you've got faith in Jesus and love for his people. And the truth is that all the way through the New Testament, what we find is that these two go together. They go together. You cannot really say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his people. Because time and again, Paul uses this little picture of the church. He calls it the body of Christ. And so if you say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his people, it doesn't really make sense. And and conversely as well, you can't really say, well, I love being a church. I love the social aspect of things. I love all of the community. But I'm not too keen on Jesus. I don't really buy into all that religious stuff. No, the two very much go together faith in Jesus and love for his people. Secondly, then, we see that this faith, this true faith, is a partnership. Verse 6, Paul says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now, some translations that might say uh, sharing in faith, but actually, there's a stronger sense here whenever Paul uses this word, in the Greek, it's koinonia, and it means partnership or fellowship. And what Paul is effectively saying is that this faith that you and I have, Philemon, this is something we share together. It is not something that you just have in isolation. You're, you're not just one believer, and I'm one believer, and we don't have much to do with one another remember one of my lectures in Bible college was was a guy from an Indian background. And in that culture, uh, it's very focused on the family, focused on the community. And the individual isn't really emphasized all that much. And he was speaking to a group of us, mostly from a British background or a Western background. And he said, you guys in the West, you're really preoccupied by, by yourself as individuals. And he said, for you, it's all about me and my God." You know, it's just about me and my relationship with Jesus. And I found that really challenging. What he was saying is that, no, actually, as Christians, you are in fellowship with your church family and millions of other Christians around the world. Of course, it's so crucial that we do have a personal, real, true faith, a relationship with Jesus. But that is never something that happens in isolation. What Paul is commending Philemon here for is it is the partnership that he has with him in faith. And the third thing about this true faith is that it's a growing faith. True faith is always growing. Paul says in verse 6, he prays that the partnership may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And so we see that this true faith is transformative, but it's also continually growing, that that Philemon is growing and deepening in his understanding. It's not something that is to be at a standstill. Paul doesn't say to Philemon, look, you've done the Alpha course, you've done your eight weeks, and that's great. Maybe read a couple of books in discipleship, but you're pretty much there, and you can just begin to teach other people. No, he wants him to deepen in his understanding of every good thing that they share in Christ. For us, the challenge is the same. Whether we've been Christians for five minutes or 50 years or longer, the truth is that we should always be growing in our faith. And as we think about today, the first Sunday of Advent, we're coming towards the end of the year. It's a good chance to look back over the last 12 months. And ask ourselves that question, are we growing in our faith? In what ways can we perhaps grow even more? Is it in our prayer life? Our relationship with other people? Our acts of service? that can be a tough thing for us to to gauge uh, in ourselves. It might be difficult for you to look over the last year and think, how have I actually grown? So maybe speaking to a friend, someone who knows you well, and, and ask them the question, Look, have you seen any areas of my life where I've grown as a Christian? Or perhaps a more uncomfortable question, are there areas of my life that I need to grow in? But Paul is clear here to Philemon that he needs to deepen in his understanding, as we all do. Secondly, then, we see that this true faith leads to transformed lives. It leads to transformed lives. Lives. If we're truly changed and shaped by the gospel, then it's going to impact upon our lives as well. How we think and how we act and so on. And at the heart of this book, what we find is Onesimus' testimony. His testimony of a radically transformed life. Paul is writing and he says here in verse 10 that Onesimus became my son whilst I was in chains. And here we see that Anisimus is experiencing a conversion moment. In fact, it's even more clear. In verse 16, Paul describes him as a brother in the Lord. So we find that Anisimus goes from a slave, not just a slave to Philemon, but a slave in sin, and he's radically transformed to becoming freed in Christ and a child of God. Some of you might know a guy called Nicky Cruz, There's a book written about him called The Cross and the Switchblades. Nicky Cruz was born in Puerto Rico in the 1930s. And he was such a badly behaved kid that his own mum called him the son of Satan. It's not a name that you want to get for yourself. The son of Satan. And so he was sent off to to live with his brother uh, at the age of 15 in New York. Uh, And there he he got into even more trouble. He, He left his home and he went onto the streets of New York, went to Brooklyn, and he joined a gang called the Mau Mau Gang. And as part of this gang, he rose to become the leader very quickly and engaged in all kinds of acts of brutality and violence and even murder. One of the psychiatrists who assessed Nicky Cruz said this about him. He said he was destined for prison, the electric chair, and hell. That was the future for Nicky Cruz. And then one day he met a young man called David Wilkerson. He was a preacher in New York. And David Wilkerson met Nicky, and he said, Nicky, Jesus loves you, and he'll never stop loving you. And Nicky Cruz responded by threatening to kill him, which probably isn't the best response to an evangelistic encounter. But, but David Wilkerson was persistent. He was persistent. And after a while he he organised an evangelistic meeting with members of the Mau Mau gang and he preached the gospel to them and many of the members of that gang became Christians, including Nicky Cruz himself. Shortly after this they went to the local police station, they turned in all of their guns and their knives. The police, of course, were totally shocked. And Nicky Cruz went on to go to Bible college, became a preacher, went back to his old gang and began to preach the gospel. And many of them got saved. Here was a guy who was totally selfish, destructive, violent, living for himself, and he was radically transformed by the gospel. We might look at somebody like that and say, he's a totally unlikely convert. It was the same for Anisimus. He was a runaway slave, he was a thief. Paul says, formerly he was useless. And then he becomes a dear brother in the Lord. Radically transformed by the gospel. But the truth is that that isn't just Nikki Cruz's story or Onesimus' story. But actually, if you're here today and you are a Christian, that is your story as well. That is my story. Because every single one of us are unlikely converts. We might not have the sort of so-called glamorous testimony that somebody like Onesimus has. But we know that we have been saved by grace, that none of us deserve the grace that Jesus has given to us, and that God has given to us. Martin Luther says this that we are all God's Anisimus. We are all God's Anissimus. Because the truth is that for every single one of us, we, like Anissimus, we were running away from our master. Our master isn't Philemon, but it's God Himself. The God of the universe who loves us, who's created us, who sustains us every moment of every day. We've run away from him, turned our backs on him. And yet, wonderfully, God has intervened and has rescued us from a life of sin. We are all God's anisimus. So the gospel transforms his life and it also then transforms his behavior and his work ethic as well. Paul says in verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Anisimus was useless. Now, of course, not all non-Christians, before they become saved, not everyone is useless, of course, but that was the story for Anisimus. He was selfish, perhaps he was lazy, and in fact, he was so useless that he ran away from Philemon and even stole from him. But now his life has changed. He's become so useful to Paul that Paul describes him in verse 12 as my very heart. Paul has a difficult time sending Onesimus back to Philemon because he loves him so much and he's become so useful to him. Now, we don't know exactly what Onesimus was doing in serving Paul. It's likely that he was bringing him supplies into prison where Paul was. Prison back then, of course, was very different to our prisons today. I wouldn't like to go to prison today, but at least I would know that I would have a bit of heat, a roof over my head, three meals a day. But for Paul, he didn't have any sort of guarantee of of food. Certainly no central heating. And so if you were a prisoner back in Paul's day, if you wanted to survive, you had to have people who brought food and clothing and other supplies to you. And so it's likely that Onesimus is part of this team helping Paul out. But whatever he was doing, he was transformed from being useless to useful. And we know that as Christians, our work ethic and our behavior is transformed by the gospel as well. In fact, we can avoid two key dangers when it comes to work. The first danger is, we might like to call it the Onesimus trap. We can fall into the habit of maybe being lazy, maybe cutting corners. There's the worldly attitude that, well, if the boss is not there at work that day, well, we can relax because what he doesn't see doesn't really matter. Now, as Christians, we know we're not working primarily for our line manager or our boss, but we're working for a much, much higher authority, for God himself. And not out of a sense of drudgery, or even just for a paycheck. But actually we're, we're working because God loves us. And so we want to respond by loving him and serving him. But secondly then, it, it means that we can avoid this danger of overwork. The other extreme where we're actually driven by our work to the point where we're exhausted. It's a particular temptation today, isn't it? Whenever you have a 24-7 culture. We can be tempted to be glued to our phones or our laptops. And we look at our friends around us. We see that people are constantly looking to just work harder and harder and harder for that extra paycheck or that promotion at work or even just more status, more respect. And we know that we are not working for, uh, for God's love And work is actually not the crucial part of our identity. Our identity is based on the fact that God loves us, so much so that he sent Jesus to die for us. And so we know that we're accepted and that we're loved. So if we are transformed by the gospel, it affects absolutely everything. What we think and how we work. Thirdly then, if a true faith leads to transformed lives but it also leads to transformed relationships. And we see two sets of relationships. The first one is the relationship between Paul and Philemon and then between Philemon and Onesimus. Paul and Philemon then their relationship is transformed by the gospel. Because Paul's appeal to Philemon is based not upon his authority and his position as an apostle, but it's based upon love. Verse 8 and 9, he says this, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. And again, verse 14, he says, I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. This is a massive step for an apostle to take, especially in a culture back then that really was based upon authority and upon hierarchy. If somebody was above you in the pecking order, it was very simple. They just commanded you to do what they wanted to do. And yet Paul says, no, I don't want to do anything without your consent. When I was growing up, uh, there were four little words that almost guaranteed to end an argument between my parents and I. My parents would say to me, look, Michael, you need to clean your room. You need to do your homework. And often I would say, well, why? Why do I need to do that stuff? And you probably know the words, the four magic words, because I say so, right? (laughs) Look, I'm the boss, I'm the parent, you're the child, you're living under my roof, you need to do what I tell you. Paul could have taken that approach, couldn't he? Could have just said, look, I'm the apostle, you're the church leader, and so you need to do what I tell you. But he doesn't do that. No, he, he appeals to Philemon on the basis of love. And for almost all of us here in this room today, there is an aspect of our lives where we are are leaders or we're perhaps in a position of authority. It doesn't have to be a big position. You might be a small group leader. You might be a, a helper in kids' work. It might not be related to church at all. Even if a friend comes to you and asks you for advice or asks you for support, in that moment you are being a leader. And so for all of us, the challenge is this, to look at Paul's example and to see that we're not to be, like the world, we're not to be domineering in our leadership. But we're to appeal on the basis of love. That is Christian leadership. Where else do we see that? Of course, we see it in the Lord Jesus himself. We've sung about the servant king. Here's Jesus, the the God of the universe. And yet he steps down to become not someone who was served. Sorry, not someone who, yeah, someone who was a servant, not someone who was served. He was the leader who, who actually prioritized serving and loving other people. That is the model of leadership we are to go for, and Paul demonstrates it here. But the second key relationship that we see is between Philemon and Onesimus. Paul says to Philemon to view Onesimus in verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Now I know that if I was Philemon, if I was reading the scroll at this point from Paul, and I had it before me, I think this point would cause me to be pretty shocked. I think I would like the, the early bit of the letter when Paul's saying, well done Philemon, You've got love for people. You've got faith in Jesus. That sounds pretty good. But when we get to verse 16, Philemon, you've got to treat Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a dear brother. If I was Philemon, I would say, Paul, do you not know the betrayal that I faced? Do you not know what what Onesimus has done to me? That he was a useless slave before, but he ran away and, and he stole from me. How on earth... Paul, how can you expect me to treat him as a dear brother? It just doesn't make any sense. And I think that for all of us, there is that temptation when we've been wronged by somebody to hold on to that bitterness. Maybe even a sense of righteousness, of justification. How can I be expected to forgive that person when they've hurt me so much? Forgiveness, of course, isn't easy. And next week, we'll look a bit more at what true forgiveness is all about. But we know that the only way that that can happen is through the supernatural power of the gospel. That's the only way that lives can be transformed and relationships can be transformed. And what we see here is that Paul is saying to Philemon, look, you've no longer to treat him merely as a slave, as an enemy, but as a brother. Uh, there's a book called The Son of Hamas. It was written by a guy called Masab Youssef. Masab was the son, is the son of one of the founders of Hamas, the Palestinian terrorist organization. And growing up, Massab, at the age of 10, he was arrested by the Israelis for throwing rocks at Israeli settlers. And, and after that, he went on to have quite a prolific career as a teenager uh, in and out of prison. But he was groomed for future leadership in Hamas. He was on the pathway to power and prestige and honor in his culture. But in his early 20s, Masab was wonderfully changed by the gospel, and he became a Christian. A few years after he became a Christian, he found himself in the International Church in Jerusalem, and he was sitting beside a guy, and he struck up a conversation And he found out that this guy was a former Israeli soldier. And the two of them then realized who the other was. And there they were, singing the same songs of worship to the same Lord, praying to the same Lord under the same roof. Two total enemies became friends. The only reason that that is ever possible, actually, is through the supernatural transformation of the gospel. Here are two guys who just years before would have had no problem killing each other and yet they become united through the love of Christ. What Paul is saying to Philemon is this is possible. You can go from seeing Onesimus as just your slave, your useless slave but now he is your dear brother in Christ. And what this unity means for us is that we can have true equality. True equality In the body of Christ. Our culture is a bit obsessed at the moment with the notion of equality. Part of that is a really good, noble desire. Of course, we want to see one another as equal. And so we see that in different ways. Whether it's equal pay, of course, a good thing. Or so-called equal marriage, not a good thing. But I think that although that desire for equality is good, the way that it's worked out in practice is often very superficial. Very superficial. Even equal pay, which is a good thing. Well, it's not actually going to transform your heart. You could have the exact same pay as every single person in your office, but that isn't going to radically transform your relationship to them. You can still look at somebody else and say, well, I kind of look down my nose at that person. Or you can look at somebody else and feel totally inferior to them. What we find here is true equality in the gospel. True equality. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Do you see this, Philemon? Paul is saying, There is no such thing anymore. It's not to say that he's not your slave. That that is still there, of course, that legal relationship. But that is trumped by your relationship in Christ. There's still such a thing as male and female, of course, as Jew and Gentile. But those dividing walls of hostility are now brought down by the gospel. It's the only thing that can bring us true equality. Because we know that God has no favourites. There's not a single one of us here today that God looks at and goes, I actually favour that person over you. Whether you're rich or poor, whatever race you are, wherever you're from, whatever your background, there is equality in the body of Christ. And so, what that means for us is that our relationships are totally transformed. We might go outside today and the world views us by our job and how much money we make or where we're from, or our family. But actually the gospel says, no, you're all one in Christ because of what Jesus has done for you. He shed his blood for you, and now you're bought and brought into this relationship with Christ. True faith leads to transformed lives and transformed relationships. The gospel then affects every single thing that we do. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, can I encourage you to look at this? You you may look at other people around this room or or think about church and think I've actually not had the best experience or best time of it. You might think of yourself as totally unlikely to be a Christian. Well, look at the life of Anisimus. He was a guy who was a runaway slave. He was a thief. And yet God amazingly intervened in his life. He transformed the relationships between Paul and and Philemon. And he can do the same for you as well. Let's pray.